Good morning. Uh, it is a delight to see the upper halves of your beautiful faces uh, this morning. Um, and for those of you who are joining us on rebroadcast at home. When I was a young adult coming into self-understanding as a second-generation Asian-American, a mentor introduced me to the idea of liminal space. Uh, liminal space being uh, when you are suspended between two realities, connected to both, but unable to be fully a part of either. And that was uh, an idea that helped me understand my experience as an Asian American. But it occurs to me that uh, many of us uh, and indeed, most of us are in all kinds of liminal spaces right now, suspended between two realities. We are at the after the end of one year, and perhaps not quite starting uh, what what we what faces us in the following year. Uh, we are suspended between two presidential administrations, one of which is trying to uh, hang on as long as it can, and then the other one that's trying to 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 grasp the beginning beginning as as, as quickly as it can. And we are certainly in a liminal space suspended between the, the, the height of a pandemic and yet the promise with vaccines of potentially maybe seeing the end of a pandemic. Liturgically, we as Christians are now uh, in between uh, the, the celebration of Christmas and the celebration of Epiphany. And in that liminal space, between the commemoration of Jesus coming into the world and Epiphany next week, which commemorates Jesus' revelation to the nations and to the world. That liminal space where the world had Jesus, but did not yet know what it had in Jesus. It occurs to me that that liminal space uh, lasted for quite some time for the first family, even for the disciples of Jesus, and even in the early church. I've been spending the, the recent months in the book of Acts, and even after the cross and resurrection and the sending of the Spirit, there was still a wrestling to understand the scope and significance of, of those events and this person that they called Christ and what they actually had in Christ. And into that liminal state uh, steps the towering figure of the Apostle Paul, uh, one of whose main concerns in his writing was for us to understand what we had and who we were in Christ, to use one of his favorite phrases that we heard a number of times in the text the, uh, this morning. Uh, we are this morning in the book of Ephesians, uh, which is among the latest uh, of the Pauline corpus and therefore might rightly be considered the most fully baked expression of Pauline thought. If we are to consider Ephesians the, uh, a fully baked pie, if you will, of Pauline thought, these opening verses give the impression of the pie filling, bubbling and oozing out of the top before we even get a chance to slice into it. They are a prayer written in the form of one single massively run-on sentence, replete with redundancies like blessed with blessings and graced with grace, stacking one dependent clause upon another such that pronouns and antecedents occasionally become lost to each other. But rather than rhetorical ineptitude, this text rather gives the impression of a buoyancy, of a quivering urgency to reveal and revel in its contents. I have before me a translation, the Young's Literal Translation from the 1800s. Yes, I had to go to the 1800s to find somebody who dared to actually render these verses as a single sentence. 
I'm going to read it to you, both for you to get a sense of the syntactical comedy, but also for the emotional exuberance of the prayer. And then afterwards, I'll note just two of its many prominent assertions and the effect those two assertions might have on us. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who did bless us in every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, according as he did choose us in him before the foundation of the world, for our being holy and blemished before him, in love having foreordained us to the adoption of sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to his good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, in which he did make us accepted in his beloved, in whom we have the redemption through his blood, the remission of sins, according to the riches of his grace, in which he did abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the secret of his will, according to his good pleasure, that he purposed in himself in regard to the administration of the fullness of times to bring into one all things in the Christ, both things in heaven and things upon earth in him, in whom also we did obtain an inheritance, being foreordained according to the purpose of him who all things is working according to the counsel of his will, for our being to the praise of his glory, even those who did first hope in Christ, in whom you also, having believed, were sealed with the Holy Spirit of the promise, which is a deposit of our inheritance to the redemption of the acquired possession to the praise of his glory. Isn't that fantastic and hilarious? Um, I'd like to draw our attention to two assertions within these words. The first is that in Christ, we were chosen by God. In Christ, we were chosen by God. No less than 12 times we hear of God's purpose, pleasure, plan, or will here. Um, an example is verse 11, back in the New International Version again, for our comfort. In him you were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything according to the purpose of his will. Uh, four or five times, depending on how you render the words in that one sentence. This idea of being chosen has caused much consternation as philosophers and theologians have sought to coordinate the various forms of determinism and freedom with this doctrine that we call predestination. Rather than going in that direction, I'd like to focus rather on the intended effect. What is the intended effect of us knowing that we are chosen by God? In order to do that, we would, have, we would have to delve into the idea of Israel being chosen by God and that the intended effect of them being known as chosen. As indeed in this passage, Paul takes the idea of Israel being chosen and extends it to all who are in Christ from every nation. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 7, we hear God speaking to the nation of Israel, saying, The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other people's, for you were the fewest of all peoples, but it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery. What, I don't know if ever you've ever been chosen not for your uh, dessert, but just purely out of free choice. Not by earning, but just by choice. And Israel's choice and election, an unconditional election in Deuteronomy was intended to bring about two uh, results. One was delight and the other is humility. The result of being called by God is delight and humility. I don't know if you've had that experience. I have. 
Um, when our daughter Kaylee, who's right here, um, began to play the violin uh, in sixth grade, I appointed myself her accompanist, um, mostly or entirely to avoid having to pay an accompanist for her recitals. Um, but as she began to progress in her violin, I would have to learn more and more difficult pieces. And not having any uh, classical training since my teenage years, I would occasionally bump against the top of my technical ability, particularly when performing Bach. Um, so there was a recital that she had where she was actually playing a two-violin uh, uh, performance, her and her teacher, and I was the accompanist. And uh, it was bumping up against the edges of my ability, and it was something I was very nervous about as preparing for it. And as we went to, to, to perform, I, I, I stepped up, they started to play, and it did not go well. Uh, I bumbled my way through it, muddled my way through it, and you know, was just stumbling over all of it. And as I went back, I was just dejected, walking back to our seats you know, as, the next, as the next performer came up, and I said, we need to get you a better accompanist. And she turned to me and said, I don't want someone better, I want you. Now, I don't know if you could feel the delight in being chosen, not for your deserve, deserving, not because of my skill, but in spite of my skill of saying, I don't want someone better, I want you. And that is the effect that being chosen is meant to have on each and every one of us, the delight of being chosen. But more than that, it is meant to evoke humility. Think about that story again. Which of us comes off looking good in that story? Not the chosen, but the chooser, right? As a matter of fact, 40-year-old Joe comes across as somewhat self-pitying and self-absorbed in that story. Um, and actually, not yet 14-year-old Kaylee comes across as the one with empathy and emotional intelligence. <laughs> you see, when one is chosen gratuitously, against one's desert, not because of it. The glory goes to the chooser, not to the chosen, bringing about humility. And that is the effect that this uh, assertion is meant to have on each of us. So I don't know what you are muddling your way, bumbling your way through right now, but I want you to know for each of you that God says, I don't want someone better, I want you. Church of the Cross, I don't know what your experience has been like in the pandemic or otherwise as a congregation. And God says, I don't want some other congregation that is better. I want you. The second assertion uh, from this passage is that I'd like to draw our attention to is this. In, not only in Christ we have been chosen by God, the second assertion is that in Christ we have an inheritance. Now, the word inheritance is used explicitly only once, but there are actually several other points where the concept impinges on the words of this opening prayer. The first of which is in verse 5, where it says, we have uh, been adopted as sons, or our adoption to sonship. Um, I'd like to refer you to last week's sermon, uh, where at greater length, Father Nick explained to us how, uh, how adoption was a primarily a, an economic arrangement whereby an heir was appoint, appointed to an inheritance. The reason why it's it said sons is that only males were permitted to be heirs. And so actually the idea that all people are adopted to sonship is actually a profoundly uh, inclusive and anti-patriarchal move rather than the opposite, um, where it says being adopted as sons really means that we have been adopted as heirs. 
Uh, the phrase in verse 11 that uh, the NIV renders, in him we were chosen, more literal translations will often render, in him we have an inheritance or have become heirs or actually have, in some, in some cases, it actually been receiving or becoming an inheritance. And in the most, again, the explicit use of inheritance is in verse, beginning in verse 13. It says, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. Now, like our chosenness, our inheritance is rooted in Israel's sensibility of their inheritance. We hear throughout the testimony of Scripture that Israel was awaiting the promise of the land, that they were to inherit and inherit the land in Palestine. This promise Jesus expanded upon when he said that the meek will inherit the whole earth. And Paul takes it one step further in here by declaring that our, our, our blessings are in the heavenly realms and that the inheritance of Christ is of all things in heaven and on earth, that our inheritance is in Christ. Now, the, if the effect of being chosen is intended to produce in us delight and humility, then inheritance is intended to produce in us a sense of responsibility and freedom. We inherited a car once. Uh, as a young couple, as many young couples might remember, we, we drove sketchy cars that were always sort of on the edge of dying. And one day, one of them died on the side of the road. And within days, maybe just a couple of days, we were given a car by friends from church. It turns out that a friends, uh, one of friends from church had a grandfather who had replaced the car and bequeathed his, his former vehicle to her, and then she and her husband decided to give that car to us. Now, unlike all our other vehicles where we uh, systematically and in a disciplined fashion saved up for it and purchased the car for ourselves, this car was just given to us. It was inherited. And it came, unlike any of the other cars, I believe, with a sense of responsibility that, that we should steward it well and that we should steward it generously. And part of what, what I did at that time working directly with college students is I lent it out freely to college students, which is, which is a bold and audacious sort of thing to do, to lend a car to college students freely. Um, and, uh, and actually, on one of the ca uh, cases, occasions of being lent to them, is, it's when that car died. It was driving, it was being driven by a college student, the car died. And I remember I, I had no sense of regret uh, of loaning it up because it wasn't inheritance. It was given to us generously. And we had both the responsibility and the freedom to audaciously uh, spend that inheritance. You see, there's a difference between that which comes to us as an inheritance and that which you secure only for yourself by earning it. You see, if we live our lives and if what we have and what is coming to us is only that which we acquire ourselves by our effort, skill, and earning, then our tendency will be toward possessiveness, frugality, sometimes even stinginess, or even uh, entitlement. But what an inheritance ought to produce in us is the sense of both responsibility for the generosity, but a sense of bold freedom, audaciousness, and abandonment. With, our re with the resources and what is inherited because of, because of the vastness of its supply and the generosity with which it came to us. Now, it is important to recognize uh, the nature of this inheritance because it's a particular nature that we need to understand of this spiritual inheritance in Ephesians. This inheritance is neither fully in the present 
nor fully in the future. It is neither something that we have in full, nor is something that is entirely coming to us in the future. Rather, this, this inheritance is described as being received as a deposit. Indeed, the Holy Spirit is given to us as a deposit of that inheritance. Now, if I receive a deposit for a good or service, um, it is not the full payment for that service. But a deposit, to be an effective deposit, must be a, 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 in sufficient amount. It must be a large enough proportion of that full payment for me to be confident that the rest of that payment is coming. Right? So if you were going to buy a car, you might put down a deposit of several hundred dollars or a thousand dollars. You wouldn't put down a deposit of a dollar. Right? So um, similarly, if you're, if you're buying a house, you're putting a, down a deposit of a significant size. This, uh, this um, understanding of our inheritance as a deposit is a key to our understanding of how we are interacting with the promises of God and even our understanding of the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Again, I would commend to us, if you have not listened to last week's sermon, you should. You need to, uh, in terms of understanding the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, which was wonderfully uh, expounded by, by Nick last week. But the, the, the understanding of the Holy Spirit is this. The Holy Spirit's presence in our lives is our experience of the deposit of a full inheritance. As Christians, we believe that, that uh, God is in the business of bringing about the renewal of all things and that at the second coming of Christ, all things will be made new. And as we look at the renewal of all things, we develop a longing, a longing for healing, for instance, a healing, physical healing, emotional and healing. And that longing is real and good and right and is coming to us. But that longing will never disappear. It, because it's not, it's not realized in full quite yet. Uh, so we shouldn't be surprised by that longing and that frustration to still be there. However, however, the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives means that we can and should expect substantial, significant experiences, even miraculous experiences of physical and emotional healing, not in full, but substantial, not, and also not a small amount, not a literal, a, little, a little amount that we might chalk up to coincidence or chalk up to, 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 uh, to fanciful, to fanciful uh, positive thinking, but substantial in its duration, in its significance, and surprising in its timing, inbreaking into, into our world as a deposit, not so that the longing fully goes away, but so that we will be confident that that full healing will come. And even so, we, we as Christians are also long for sanctification, for moral transformation. And as we seek that and the frustrations attendant to that, we know that that will come and that the promise will come of full moral transformation, of full, uh, of full sanctification. And in this life, that, that frustration and longing will not go away because we do not receive it in full in our lives and in the lives of others. However, we can and should expect significant transformation, significant sanctification in our lives and in others, breaking in upon us in a surprising way and with a significant amount, uh, significant in its extent and duration. Um, not enough to take the longing away, but enough for us to be assured that the full payment, the full inheritance is on its way. And in this world, and in this particular year, when we see the longings for justice breaking uh, out amongst those who know God and those who don't, we have the promise in the new heavens and the new earth of full justice, 
of full communion, full reconciliation with God and with God's de uh, desire for the, for the flourishing of all. And we've seen the cries and the calls for justice. And I have to tell you, those cries will not go away. That the, the, the full realization for, of justice is something that we will always long for and there will always be a gap for that. However, it is right and legitimate for us to expect in this life, in the present experience, through the working of the Holy Spirit, significant experiences of change and justice, significant and surprising inbreakings of that final inheritance, not to take away our longing, but so that we can be assured that the God who promised that inheritance is good for the remainder of the, of the inheritance. So I don't know where uh, all of you are standing in what sorts of liminal spaces you find yourself today, whether they be spaces of your personal growth, within your family, within your vocation, within your world, within this congregation, in what kinds of tensions you live between the already and the not yet. But these words in Ephesians commend to us the liminal space that lies between our being chosen from the foundations of the world and our awaiting our full inheritance of which we have received a deposit. That is what it means to be in Christ. You pray with me. God, we thank you for these words of your scriptures that tell us who we are and what we have in Christ. We thank you that your choice of us is something that is not our deserving, that isn't something that is because we uh, are anything in comparison with anybody else, uh, individually or corporately. We thank you that your choice of us um, is entirely gratuitous, and so that our response to you can be one of delight and humility. And we also thank you for the inheritance that you've given to us uh, in part and promised to us in full. We thank you for the responsibility that lays on us, but also the freedom that we have to, to, to venture audacious attempts in healing and in, uh, in transformation and in justice, impossibly bold uh, uh, venturings in that, knowing that um, you can and do break through in our time, in our experience, in substantial ways, and for that remaining gap that you are good for the remainder of that inheritance. We praise you for who you are and who, who you have made us to be in Jesus Christ.